Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I went inside the bathroom and I wrote on the bathroom door, you know, you're sitting on the toilet and you oh, yeah. look at the door and it was like, I love Denise Miles. And I knew that it was taboo. Hmm. Um, but I knew that every single girl would be sitting on that toilet and be able to see that and go, wow, somebody's declared their love, romantic love. And this is my canvas as a eight <laughs> yeah. or nine year old. Yeah. yeah. There was no social media. <laughs> we no. wrote things on walls. <laughs> <laughs> And this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer people make a big old fuss about saying goodbye and then all turn and walk in the exact same direction. Sound familiar? Maybe because I just did that with my own podcast. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. I know, I know, I just did a whole big season two finale of You Made Me Queer, goodbye, and toddled off into the sunset as I am wont to do, and I'm back, but I have a very good reason, and soon I'll let you know, this is a bonus episode on season two, because I love you, you're my finest creation, and I don't say that to all my children, but uh, with you, there's something different, and so I wanted to give you a special gift. I had an opportunity to interview someone uh, fantastic, someone fantastic, full stop, and I took it. And you can hold that against me or you can just let it wash over you like the cold mist of an early spring hose leak. I'm recording this after my buddy's show. Thank you so much to everyone who came. What a sweet joy that was. Uh, my guests, of course, J.P. LaRock, Tamara Shevon, and Bombay were atrociously angry and I was thrilled about it and we had a packed house which was so great it's so nice to be doing things with people there were so many takeaways from the evening my biggest one was I rely too much on paper mache it's a crutch and it should be a starting place paper mache is a jumping off point into a bigger creation of new media maybe plaster of Paris who knows as long as it's cheap and I could make it from garbage. But enough about my star turn at the Buddies and Bad Times Queer Pride Festival. Let's move on to today's episode. My guest is Suk Yin Lee. Yes, oh, Canadian icon Suk Yin Lee, multi-hyphenate to the extreme Suk Yin Lee. Oh, you mean the person that the Globe and Mail called a one-woman media arts convergence? Yes, that's correct. There's just one Suk Yin Lee. So I'd appreciate if you don't ask me stupid questions, but let's dive in to Suk Yin's bio. Suk Yin Lee is a Canadian filmmaker, musician, actor, multimedia artist, and award-winning radio and TV broadcaster. She's worked for CBC Radio and TV, BBC, Much Music. I was raised on Suk Yin Lee on Much Music. She was the cool kid. After starring in John Cameron Mitchell's groundbreaking LGBTQ movie, Short Bus, which premiered at Cannes Film Festival, Lee, that was atrocious. Lee made her feature film writer and directorial debut at TIFF with Year of the Carnivore, starring Kristen Milioti. She'd, of course, previously worked with John Cameron Mitchell for a very small but memorable part in Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is one of my all-time favorite films. In 2014, Sukin won the Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance by a Lead Dramatic Actress for her role as the fantastic Olivia Chow in Jack, the biopic about the late and wonderful Jack Layton. 
Sukin went on to write and star in Unsafe at Canadian Stage. Her work has been presented by Ottawa Art Gallery, Art Gallery of Ontario, Toronto Dance Theatre, and Festival of New Dance. Sukin is also, again, multi-hyphenate, one-woman media convergence, also a film score composer and solo recording artist. Her bands include First Project Bob's Your Uncle, Juge, co-led with Adam Litovitz, and most recently Lee and Gamble Unlimited. Talking to Sukin was just wonderful, truly a force. I'm sad this is a podcast because so much of Sukin's communication is in her face and her body language, an energy that transcends TV, obviously, uh, film, stage, just a special visceral person that it was a thrill to speak to. One really quick note, Sukin talks about an upcoming screening of Short Bus at the Tiff Bell Lightbox, and she says Friday, June 18th. It is June 18th. That is, in fact, a Saturday. You should go. You should be there. You should absolutely buy a ticket because Sukin will be there doing a Q&A with Inside Out Director of Programming, Andrew Murphy, so you can buy tickets. The screening will be at 7.30 at the Tiff Bell Lightbox in Toronto. Do not miss it. It is going to be shown in 4K. And if you've seen Short Bus or if you know about Short Bus, those are the kind of scenes that demand 4K. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. So you're going to go buy a ticket, but first, you're going to sit tight, you're going to strap on that little seatbelt, if indeed you are in a moving vehicle, and uh, you're hopefully going to enjoy my conversation with the iconic starburst of a human being, Suk Yen Lee. You made me quit! Uh, okay, so now I'm recording. It's okay sounding? Yeah, I can hear you beautifully. We're, okay, we're rocking. That's amazing. Bye. What's happening? What's the situation? What are you wearing? Well, it's just like, a, I mean, it's, it, I've been going through like an intergalactic period, um, mm-hmm. but also I have an infection in my eye. It's intergalactic oh. <laughs> with a purpose. Okay. So I have an infection in my eye and I find that when my hair goes into my eyes, yeah. it bugs me. I rub it, which makes it even worse. Oh, yeah. I can't relate, but I, I f- hear you. But you have no hair. I don't have any hair. So you don't have to worry about that. It never goes in my eyes. Fantastic. I know. We need to get you like one of those cat cones. Oh, you mean a collar? The Elizabethan collar? Yes, that's what we need. Should I order one for you? Oh, God, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do really like those, though. Yeah, the problem with not having hair, I mean, because I'm, I'm fine with the mortality aspect of it. But anytime I bump my head on anything, and I'm tall, so I have bumps all over my head. Oh, no. I know. The hair can't hide anything. That's just going to happen more and more and more. Yeah. You know, as we get older, yeah, it's like I bumps know. everywhere. I know it's true. Bruises that take six months to go away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but- so that's the, that's, that's the intergalactic thing about Bob. I'm here for, I mean, this is trash podcast content because no one can see anything we're talking about, but listeners. Yeah. I have, a, I, I got a gem star on my forehead. I'm rocking <laughs> the um, gem star on the forehead. Yeah. Um, my, my neighbor looked over the fence and went, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> like you're an extraterrestrial i'm like yes <laughs> thank you thank you that's what i was going for i said i i don't look like a hippie because they're quite close yeah and he said no 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 not at all it's very intergalactic that's perfect it's some sci-fi energy it's almost <laughs> yeah. got like a bit of like sailor moon tiara too which i'm really supportive of <laughs> and there's also a cello in the background do you play cello no no that's that that is dylan's double bass oh nice it looks like a cello but it's far away and it's very much bigger than a cello. My apologies to the... Uh, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. Very messy in here. No, I like it. Please, I've got, uh, you know, this is what I'm bringing to the table. So here we are. I do notice sometimes on Zoom, people have these fancy backdrops where, um, you know, they, they just put it digitally and you can kind mm-hmm. of see the bleed of their body into the <laughs> fake background. Yeah, it's weird. It's duplicitous when it looks like, like if you're in outer space, great. But if it looks like a nicer condo than you have, <laughs> mm, no, 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 none of that. Um, yeah, I have the dirty condo background. <laughs> That's right. It's a choice. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so maybe that is the perfect segue, in because, yeah. you know, sometimes we see reality and mm. sometimes we see a dirty condo background, something someone has manipulated to trick us into yes. thinking something that is not true. Sure. 
happens all the time. I mean, you know. ever more frequently now with all the acts. That are all owned by Zoom. All Zoom, Zoom. Zoom, all Zoom. your Zoom. <laughs> That's right, mm. all Zoom, Zoom. And we know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Zoom is making us queer because now looking back, we know all of this trickery was leading us into, you know, this path of um, of so many, of depravity, of intergalactic depravity, if I may. <laughs> The black hole. <laughs> I know, the black hole. What a perfect metaphor. So that's why I've invited you here, Sukin, because I want to give you and your double base the opportunity to point the finger of blame once and for all at who and or what made you queer. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> this is funny, because like your backdrop, yeah. you have a flag with a ghost on it that says anxiety, uh -huh. um, a pendant, and then That's also, right. um, also you have what looks to me to be some sort of like in the, at the hospital, you have room <laughs> dividers with yeah. curtains. Yeah. And so I'm sending mixed signals. I mean, that plus the name of the podcast with its accusatory tinge <laughs> and then the surgical hospital room divider come Roman Catholic confessional booth. Oh my God. I feel really seen. I know it's vivid. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. all, um, you know, mise-en-scene, which you've got in abundance, Trevor, with your bald head covered with bruises. I mean, bless you for just painting this verbal character of me. That's right. Think of me as a medical professional. <laughs> oh, no. Slash uh, priest. Yes. Slash, yeah. The and the queerest of all those varieties who wants to give you a platform to prescribe something to me. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Will do. Hmm. So what is it? What made you queer? Are, is it me? Are you blaming me? Yes, you. <laughs> God you damn invited it. me. You invited me to this podcast. It's <laughs> your true. fault, Trevor. I'll take. I'll take the hit. Um, what made me queer? I've got, that's a very expansive, huge, huge, huge question. <laughs> um, uh, I I don't I can't I don't I mean I first and foremost probably television at large. Yeah, like I I grew up a TV addict as a child, mm. a very, very strict family in a tiny little town at the foot of a mountain in North Vancouver called mm. Lynn Valley. Mm. And, um, you know, we were, we were, I was like the only Chinese kid within the radius of like several miles, me and Bev Wong and my sisters, Bev lived up the street. Shout out Bev Wong. Yeah. And Bev, I'm pretty sure it was gay as well. Wow. So I, you know, and then I had just my sisters, like a family of four girls yeah, and um, a very extremely dominant mom and very gentle hearted dad and very strict mom. So we weren't allowed out at all. So I spent a yeah. lot of time either, well, I was a competitive swimmer. So I either spent time in the pool and that's a whole other world too. I mean that, I bet some of the That totally makes you queer. Come on. Are you kidding? As soon as you have lycra in the mix, it's game over. It's as soon as you have like an abundance of, you know, girls in a shower room, yeah. you know, um, every day from four to seven in the morning and then from four to seven at night, that same day working out. Peak queer times. Queer times. And like uh, <laughs> a tile wall, yeah. you know, a tile wall where yeah. you measure your breast size and show everybody how your breasts are going according to how many tiles are. I mean, it's a recipe. Wait, for queen. wait, wait. How dare you try and skip past that? Because that's not like you, you know, there, I had an equivalent where, you know, the, the locker room, all that stuff was very... Yeah, it's a locker room. Yeah, taboo, sexually charged. But would you, so you'd stand with your chest against the tiles to see how your boobs are going? So what, ha what happened, so like, I was way too shy for this. I okay. would be, it was like the girls... Would and, and my best stroke was breaststroke. Okay. Well, and... it's convenient to this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was, my other times, like I had like the fastest 13 and 14 year old girl time <laughs> yes. for 200 breaststroke and then the second fastest for 100, which wow. made me, pushed me up to have to work out with the older people, like the teenagers, not the wow. tweens. Yeah. And so I was kind of already shy. And so I was more like a, an observer. So most of the older teen people, the girls, young mm -hmm. women would be in the changing room. There'd be these tiny little tiles and they would measure their breasts <laughs> to see how big they were growing. <laughs> Lots of feeling, observing, organizing, you know, uh, 
studying. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, when you're swimming backstroke, you know, and you've got those tight lycra swimsuits, I remember seeing, you know, uh, girl, girls' boobs pop out. It was very exciting. Right. Um, you know, the backstroke, during the backstroke. Yeah. And um, also it's funny because like, you know, especially at that time, maybe, and that you know little town you were living in because there's no not only not acknowledgement of queerness but no knowledge at all of queerness so those moments that are so sexually charged for a queer yeah. person they're just like could you imagine that well i mean you were there but i mean, I mean and the funny thing it was they, like it just didn't even wasn't on the radar it wasn't it wasn't on the radar but you know the, the two people who were watching from the distance yeah was me and pearl Oh, was Pearl also queer? Yes, Pearl was okay. very most definitely yeah. queer. It's the people who go a bit too quiet in those moments where they're like, I'm trying to record this for my brain. Yeah, and then then and then couple that with this really um disturbing ritual that whenever there was a person's birthday, say if it was a girl's birthday, they would get the guys to line up to kiss the girl. And then vice versa, it was a guy's birthday, it would get the girls to want, and that was always horrifying to me. So the birthday person got to kiss everyone of the opposite sex? Yes. So they had this ritual, (laughs) and it was really traumatizing. (laughs) Yeah. It was more traumatizing than, um, you know, when they force you to do... Polka dancing or whatever, or square dancing? Yeah, square dancing. Horrible. We did Achy Breaky Heart, Billy Ray Cyrus. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. Yeah. So I bl- uh, part of that, that's that's definitely there. But also television, like I think yeah. like I was a TV addict, so I spent either my time in the swimming pool or watching TV. And when I grew up, there was just like anything went on TV. It was just like there would be cartoons, kids shows, and then suddenly... Roman Plansky's repulsion with Catherine Deneuve, you know, an agrophobic, beautiful woman stuck in a house murdering everybody who comes by her house. And this would like follow Scooby-Doo. Yeah, but that would be, uh, you know, after a while, it was more interesting to watch that than Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Gilligan's Island was my favorite show. It was on repeats. And Gilligan's Island was totally a queer island. Did you ever watch that? Oh, oh yeah, I watched that big time. That's really interesting because something about that is really queer for me, certainly because... Like I, you know, I saw myself as a bit of a Gilligan. In reality, I was more of like a low rent professor. But what are you going to do? But Gilligan was the sort of asexual, like um, th- this person who, like you said, like the pearls and the U's and the bevs, who sort of existed on the periphery of situations and would watch them, but was never like Gilligan didn't have a partner. That was a queer character. I mean, all of them were queer. There's something happening good. between Skipper and Gilligan. Yeah. Also. The professor, he was the most quote unquote handsome dude on the island. Uh-huh. And this ginger, who's like a super babe, like yeah. total babe, total lusty babe. There were episodes where she comes on to the professor who is, it's like bouncing off his head. He's completely right. disinterested. All right. he's interested in is, is, is tubes, is test tubes. <laughs> and he, he was not interested at all. And then, That's and, true. And then Mr. and Mrs. Howell. Mr. Howell. Who were not having sex. Ne- they slept in, slept in separate rooms, separate yeah. huts. Were they? Yeah. And like Mr. Howell definitely was gay. Yeah. That's a really good point because there wasn't. He was there like, was a lot of flirtation story arcs, but no one ever hit it. No, never. Never. So who. So let's go there. Who'd you rather on Gilligan's Island took in? What do you mean? Who's your rather? Like, like who'd you rather? Like who? Who's your number one? You want to grab a smooch? You want if it was your oh, well, birthday? Oh, ginger! Obviously, okay. ginger. Come on. Well, I don't know. Some maybe Marianne. She's no, got her I mean, some charms. I mean, the only, the only time I was attracted to Marianne was when the coconut fell on her head, and she thought she was ginger for an episode. She <laughs> behaved like ginger. Then Marianne was okay. hot. <laughs> yeah. So you like a showgirl? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. And um, so to that, and also, um, yeah, repulsion. Um, wow. Roman Plansky's repulsion. And the, I um, mean, that's a tonal shift. You should <laughs> yeah. acknowledge. And this is all like in my eight-year-old mind. Whoa. Um, yeah. How does an eight-year-old process revulsion? I found it very interesting. At first, I was like, I saw, I, I was flipping through the channels, and I saw these rotting, dead rabbit corpses, full of maggots, and I was like, hey! yeah, <laughs> pass that quick. But I was like, what was going on there? What? Right. So I found myself kind of returning, cat, going past all the cartoons and kid stuff, and planting until I just was like, I'm here. Yeah. And you know, it's pretty amazing to think about because 
you know, it's it's a portrait of a woman's um, deterioration of mind and um, essentially how uh, she uh, is being sexually um, overwhelmed and assaulted by the world around her. And then she kills everyone. (laughs) You know, so she kind of it, it made absolute sense once I got past the rotting bunnies yeah. I could completely understand the problem that this woman was experiencing and feel a great deal of compassion for her right because it sounded like what you've alluded to you were <clears throat> as a child feeling pretty overwhelmed too so that was familiar territory yeah I mean every kid feels overwhelmed but I mean that's fair even like the idea of queer I feel is just a natural disposition like I feel that so much of the sort of gender and orientation and sexuality is are these sort of like we're sort of born perfect before language. Mm. And then we sort of learn all of the sort of um, societal conformities or rules that kind of bring us ties to language, but we're, we're much more fluid. And even that word fluid is used a lot these days. We're much way kind of like more expansive. Mm. So I feel like just being born, um, you know, like there are four, four girls in my family and I remember just feeling very identified as a boy. And um, within your family or within yourself? Within my family and okay. within myself. Well, you were an athlete too, I suppose. I was an athlete. I was a jock. Right. And there was just one day where we were all in the blueberry fields picking blueberries. And I was wearing a dress that was made of polyester, of course. And it was very <laughs> suffocating, suffocating. And I took my shirt off. And I, and I ran free through <laughs> the blueberry fields. Yeah. And I, I said to my family, that was the day where the first day where I said to my parents um, that I'm Mark and to please call me Mark. Oh, wow. And, and they were only too delighted because they had four <laughs> daughters and my dad was raised. They were like, great. <laughs> my dad was an orphan. His parents, his folks died and he was raised by very, two very bossy sisters, older sisters. Okay. You know, and then he had a very domineering wife and then four daughters. He was yeah. surrounded by women. So he was only too happy to have a son. And they would call me Mark. And, you know, I it was at that point also around that around that period of time where I blew a bubble and the gum went all over my hair. And I just always had really short haircuts. <laughs> and so in my tiny little town, I would yeah. go to the... Uh, the hardware store and they would give suckers to all the kids and they would always say to me there you go son and um i was constantly um called son and mark yeah uh, in my family and so you know there was a period of time where this was my identity and it just seemed very natural to me it Um, sounds really positive too like very for your family structure which was a bit strict to be so affirmed by like yes we'll call you mark they were so pleased. They were so happy to do so. That's great. My parents were really thrilled. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of uh, sexuality, I mean, my earliest recollections were big crushes on on girls. Yeah. Like any, any celebs stick out or were these local no, girls? No, these were girls in my class. Did you ever go for Bev and Pearl? No, no, I didn't. No. I, I, they're more my buds. Yeah. Too close to home. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> there was this one... Really, fan. I mean, there's a sort of bio- biological um, thing like girls in grades one and two, three, up until grade four mm-hmm. were massive. Like they were way bigger than the boys. Wow. Physically, we would we could pound them out like we were actually very much bigger. I think the the, the growth spurt. Interesting. So, yeah, it seemed like an almost like an Amazonian world that I lived in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Especially because you were doing things with older girls who had definitely matured faster, like through swimming, like you were, you were just part of that mix. Yeah, yeah. And I do remember that too, because I was a bit of a late bloomer. And I was very short. Now I'm tall. Yeah, it would have been useful if I was short when I had no hair. But I remember at a, it's like in the grade, maybe grade four or grade five is where there's a real diversity where there's like yeah. someone who looks six years old and someone who looks 25. Uh, yeah. And since their legs <laughs> cross, it's like, wow. Yeah. Like what's going on? <laughs> totally. So that early time, I mean, it just seemed most natural to be romantically interested in girls, specifically yeah. Denise Miles. She was like a really fucking cool, cool chick. Like she was like, so awesome. She lived up the street. Paint the picture. Well, she had feathered hair. 
Oh, yeah. This was the 80s? This is like the 80s, yes. Okay, great. Or late 70s, early 80s. Um, She lived up in the apartments that were kind of off limits to me um, because it was like rowdy people lived in the apartments, according to my mom. My mom had Mm. very rigid societal views. It was like the rowdy people lived up. Anyway, Mm -hmm. she came from like a broken home, raised by her mom and her older sister. And um, she was very beautiful and very warm hearted. And, Mm. you know, you'd think that she would be a bitch because she was was beautiful and kind of like um, super popular, but Mm -hmm. she never made fun of anyone and always loved everybody. Like she was really cool. How could you not have a so great? How much older Um, than you was she? No, she was my same grade. Oh, oh. She was kind of the leader of our girl gang. I love that. And also the fact that she was, I mean, maybe tell me if you're the same when someone's a little bit taboo like careful about her she's a bit wild or whatever instantly the attraction triples yeah but i mean she herself was she was a saint like Mm. there were kids there were kids who were obviously like nandy o'neill kevin bland (laughs) well zucchina's dropping names (laughs) if any of you listen (laughs) so many people were um picked on you know, these would be the total bully kids and Denise would have their back line. And, and she was also really nice to me. And I was part of her gang. There were a bunch of girls in our gang. I, I was the one who came from the strict family. So I could not drink Jack Daniels or sniff glue with the other girls <laughs> in the creek behind the school in yeah. elementary school. My job Whoa. was to look after. I know I was raised in a kind of like Harmony Korean world. <laughs> Wait, um, sniffing glue? Yeah. Le- LePage's rubber cement. There was a period in, you know, it was around grade six. You must have been like 11 Mm -hmm. that people started to, my girl gang started to like sniff glue and drink Jack Daniels in this incredible, like I lived in a rainforest. There was a creek behind the school that was like a rainforest. And we'd go go down there and people would get high, but I didn't get high because I knew that my mom would be able to tell. Right. So I couldn't, she had a pretty much a sonar detected in her head. That would, if you'd been anywhere near a glue stick or that rubber or, cement or the mall or anything like that, she knew. Oh no. And so I, my job was to take care of everybody. Yeah. So of course, you know, I developed a crush on Denise Miles. I knew that it was taboo to say so. Mm-hmm. I know that, but I wrote on the, I went inside the bathroom and I wrote on the bathroom door you know, you're sitting on the toilet and you oh, yeah. look at the door and it was like, I love Denise Miles in a big part. How, and you were 11? Yeah. I mean, this would have been nine or 10. Yes. Like throughout, throughout elementary school. Wow. Um, and I knew that it was taboo. I knew that I couldn't speak and say that to people. Mm. Um, but I knew that every single girl would be sitting on that toilet and be able to see that and go, wow, somebody's you know, somebody's declared their love, romantic love. So it was kind of an outlet for you where you're like, I can't say this out loud, but I have to communicate this. Yeah. And this is my canvas as a eight <laughs> yeah. or nine year old. Yeah. yeah. This is my platform. There was no social media. <laughs> we no. wrote things on walls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Do you think she ever read it? She must have. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And probably so everyone had a crush on her. Please. I mean, she sounds amazing. Very amazing. Very, very cool. But nothing ever, ever came to a head with Denise Miles. Sadly, no. I mean, okay. I was kind of, yeah. I mean, we were close, but not, it wasn't like I was in, Monica Vitrini was her, her best bestie and Susan Thomas. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone pairs off, but did Denise or any of those other gals, were they on the swim team or swim team? There no, was no, swim cr- team was this whole other world. That was a very isolated oh. world. Because imagine Denise doing the tile boob measure. <laughs> Yeah. You would have blown your mind. <laughs> and then, I, but then, you know, I, I wasn't always Mark. I moved in and out of Mark. Hmm. I moved in and out of crushes with girls. Then I developed crushes on boys. Uh, fast forward now, it's really hard for me to say what I am. I mean, queer yeah. is the best kind of the best kind of moniker. I mean, I've I've spent years where I've been asexual. Um, hmm. I'm bisexual. Hmm. Um, Sometimes I, th- I was talking with, with my friend the other day and it was like, shouldn't bisexuality just be the default setting? <laughs> yeah, right. You think if we're going to assume anything. Yeah. Now, did you, because sometimes I've spoken to some, you know, pansexual or bisexual folks who it took them a little longer sometimes to kind of figure out who they were or what they liked because 
they also liked sort of the heteronormative or they could appreciate sort of heteronormative sexuality as well. So did it crystallize in your mind at that age too? Like, I'm different? Or was it just, I don't know, what did it feel like? I think initially it felt extremely um, right and the way it is. I never felt, it never felt strange or other until I started to notice how other people behaved and how they were pairing off and how it was usually girls and boys and very rarely girls and girls or boys and boys. Yeah. So I, I mean, kids pick up social norms pretty fast. Yeah. And even just like, I remember seeing a documentary, an Australian documentary on gender roles from decades ago. Uh And it was like, they take a teacup and, you know, a teacup and a porcelain teacup and say to, you know, kids, you know, is this a girl's cup or a boy's cup? Oh, it's a girl's cup. They take that same teacup and put like spikes all over it. And they're like, is it a girl, a boy's, you know, and even so parents who, who tried to like raise their children in kind of like alternative settings found that their children would be indoctrinated. Even if in spite of all their care, they would be indoctrinated by media or whatever, fill in the blank of hang, hang out with kids. So we all pick up because we're animals and we, you know, all, all see who's following what. So I, it did, I, by the time I was nine, I knew it was taboo. I knew I couldn't declare my love for Denise in the field. <laughs> But man, that's so interesting. And so, you know, one of, I guess, the challenges we continue to face, you just in the field, this free formed creature who was like, I'm taking off my dress. Here's the name I've chosen for myself. Thank you very much. Like, you know, it's not it's not precociousness. It's a sense of self-understanding that if left uninterrupted is like, no, this is fully formed. Just get out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that for you. Something, you know, in one, once we dive into society, learn language, learn all the rules of engagement, it can really bent you out of shape. You know, I often think about everything. Like, uh, why is it that we do that? Why do we, I'm looking at a picture. Why do we put it in a frame? Yeah. You know, what, yeah. <laughs> so many things that we're, we're given. So I think, I think, I think humans are pretty rudimentary creatures and we're, we are at the same time, very expansive. I think that um, much of the sort of labels and even our ability to communicate through language, I love words and I love the, the, the fact that we're able to communicate right now, but there's so much more here. There's yeah. so much more that we can experience. You made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to more You Made Me Queer. And I think that, I mean, this makes sense why you are such a multi-hyphenate, because it's like words or whatever language, you know, music or this or that. It's like, yeah, this can only say so much. Mm -hmm. And I have more to say. And I think if I can tie this back, this also goes back to revulsion because Mm -hmm. it's this thing. And I think it's something queer people have in common where, you know, we are drawn to things that maybe um, are not age appropriate or quote unquote gender appropriate, whatever that means. Mm. And as a result of like seeing something we relate to in that we from a very early age, we're doing a lot of sense making where it's not just like, tell me what this is in this world. It's like I'm eight and something about Catherine Deneuve losing her mind in revulsion Mm. makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. There's another really amazing um movie that I saw as a child on TV. It was called Mm. Goodbye, Charlie. I don't know it. Very weird movie. Um, It it was uh, directed by Vincent Minnelli. Mm. And um, it stars Tony Curtis and Debbie Reynolds. And Debbie Reynolds begins, um, she's a woman walking, she's completely disheveled. She's walking down a highway median naked naked and, and and then somebody comes and like what, what she's very disoriented they're like what the fuck's going on and then somebody encounters her puts a raincoat over her we realize when she talks she's got a, a very gruff man's voice and she is the reincarnation of a very 
grouchy former man who died. Wow. And she comes back to Earth reincarnated as this super deluxe babe. And she <laughs> has to navigate the world. Um, re-meets, Charlie meets his best friend, who is Tony Curtis, yeah. but in the shape of Debbie Reynolds. And um, there's a kind of like sexual tension between those two friends as Debbie is Charlie with Tony, who's George. Yeah, uh, it, it's it was uh, it's a comedy and a it's it's very it, very interesting and surreal and super 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 queer. That's really interesting, and I love that. Like the I think that's sort of the proto way in contemporary art we've explored that idea, like the Tootsie phenomenon, where it's like you know with um, Dustin Hoffman. Where it's like, okay, whether, you know, whether it be in this movie where you're reincarnated into a different gender role or you just dress up that way and then you still experience these attractions and these interests and these kinships. And it's like, yeah, when we can start to think outside of just here's my body and here's or what here's my quote unquote orientation. Yeah, that that is the way where it's like, yeah, everyone gets this. Straight people get this, you know, quote unquote, everyone understands attraction is so much more than we allow it to be like you said the limitations we place on it but we have to do it through naked women wandering highways because we're too scared to just you know do it ourselves yeah i mean it's such a strange film too because like charlie was a womanizer when he was a man Uh uh-huh and then he's a babe and he he gets completely hit on by other womanizers and have, has to experience <laughs> what that is like. Yeah. Does he learn a valuable lesson about, you know, uh, misogyny? Yes, he does. Great. And then, and then he ends up, and then the only way that they can really actually culminate the romance between Debbie Reynolds as Charlie and George Tony Curtis is then Charlie dies again as Debbie Reynolds and comes back as a dog. <laughs> and then Debbie Reynolds pops back as as a female and then it gets it on with George. So it's very very weird. Whoa. Um so he ends the movie as a dog? He does. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it was supposed it was supposed to be just like a crazy hijinks, you know, mainstream comedy and yet yeah. when you watch it, I remember just being like, wow, this is super interesting. You know what was going on with the fluctuations of identity and sexuality and yeah yeah it was really cool but i think that is something like that dog whistles to queer folks where you are able to extend that to oh yeah what an interesting uh you know artistic statement about um identity versus the body or gender expression blah 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 whereas most folks just go to it and they're like that was funny did you see the dog like you know it doesn't (laughs) speak to maybe the heteronormative folks in the same way yeah it's true yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember really weird movies as a kid that spoke to me. Was, there was definitely like the cult related section. Like I saw Helter Skelter on TBS oh, yeah. as like a nine year old <laughs> and was just like, wow, what is happening there? And another big one was uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Todd Solon's Welcome to the Dollhouse. Yeah. Which is just like peop, people, when there's one person, whether they're an alien or whatever, we're like, you're separate from the world. I understand what that's like. I mean, yeah. Yeah, people, marginalized people, you know, if you're the only Chinese kid within, you know, the whole area. Yeah. Or even like, like my, my family was pretty strange and my mom was, uh, you know, she suffered a a, a number of mental uh, discomforts. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just really stood out. Um, My mom was really a powerhouse and she um, let her, let her mental stuff out very much out. Mm-hmm. And and just arguably as a woman, you're you're having to read the signs all the time, yeah, to kind of figure out stuff. To and and, and existence or I, this, I think, a tendency toward philosophy or you know self reflection, societal reflection. That's all part of the queer terrain. Totally right. Uh, and initially, maybe as a survival mechanism, and then after, because it's kind of fun, especially if you go into the arts. Like, yeah, God forbid. <laughs> Yeah, he's True. Just like, finally, your canvas has expanded past the bathroom stall. Yeah, no, it was very, very uh, wonderful. I mean, um, I, I left home when I was 15 and was quickly taken under wing by an arts community in, in Vancouver. Um, mm. A big part of my world was a queer community. Uh, mm-hmm. I lived um, in a row house in Chinatown in Strathcona in Vancouver and um, was really taken under wing by a group of um, artists and lesbians who were my 
parents essentially who helped to raise me um and very very good very very loving community i love that and i love as a group marker artists and lesbians (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's who's in this house (laughs) so was this the first time that you had met people who were out um yeah probably around that time yeah yeah and did that did that would it feel like a natural fit was there was there any speed bump in that process it felt like a very natural fit i mean i when i think back on it i can't i can't really feel any bumps to that that's great yeah i think um yeah it it just felt very natural and anytime that i was with a woman it has felt very natural i remember seeing taxi to the john um it was a german movie extremely graphic mm-hmm. and i think i must have been like maybe 14 or so 15 um when i saw it at a repertory cinema and it was like very I, this, the first time that i had seen graphic sex between men yeah and i remember wow holy smokes it's called welcome to the john Taxi to the taxi John? To, taxi to the John. Okay. <laughs> it's, a ger- it's, a ger- it's a German film. Amazing. Did your lesbians and artists take you there? No, no, no. I was just a repertory geek kid. Yes. I pretty much uh, got my education from TV. And then when I moved out, I would just soak in so many movies. I would go yeah. to like double bills every day. And back then in Vancouver, there was like um, European and art house cinema uh, films from all over the world would play at these these uh, theaters. And, you know, that was one of them from from Germany. Um, the, this, the scene that I uh, found myself in, the arts community was extremely vibrant. And so, you know, I came from a very strict family when I moved and ran away at 15 that coincided with my, my parents' breakup. Hmm. Um, I pretty much went the opposite way. So suddenly I was like, without any rules, <laughs> uh, you know, transferred to a new school, found that very boring, um, really was able to uh, take art classes and video classes and drama classes for the first time in my life. Um, and, but I did still feel that uh, the, you know, so the school was a large babysitting service. And then I <laughs> kind of got yeah. very, I, I started to go to shows um, and um, started to make art uh, on my own outside of school. Um, the the class of school was very conventional. They would just want us to paint like still lifes, but I yeah. just had a lot of, um, a lot of feeling inside me, and I, all I would do is like finger painting exploding heads and stuff like that. And my art teacher hated it. <laughs> and they're it. like, mm, yeah, I'm sure your art teacher's like, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not touching anything here. But that's interesting because I do, I talk to a lot of artists, and it sounds like it might be similar for you where you're the queer awakening and the artistic awakening. I mean, you lived, you, you said artists and lesbians. Yeah. It's like the sort of, it was a simultaneous birth for you is that right yeah i mean it was it was it was uh in vancouver and this is before vancouver became unaffordable to live in there was just (laughs) a lot of a lot of squatting a lot Mm -hmm. of politics a lot of activism a lot of uh dancers poets writers punks musicians all in a weird melange together and we didn't have places to play so we set up in like abandoned spaces Mm -hmm. or you know rent out halls so it's a very lively and exciting community um Mm -hmm. i i went i got i was sort of my introduction to that was um there was this uh play um about teen suicide in vancouver and i had this bright idea that i would go there with a bunch of my drawings and see if they would take my drawings of exploding heads (laughs) and the curator was like yes we love this and that was my first art show Wow. So they put them up in the theater? Yeah, yeah, in the lobby. Yeah. And she was in a band that was part of the sort of punk, um, post-punk scene. Mm-hmm. And she had this house that we called The Ranch. And tons of people would just show up and, like, make shit and do yeah. stuff and t- have really interesting conversations. And all kinds of really cool stuff happened there. And mm-hmm. she was my first love. Uh, I have, she was the first person that I had, um, you know, uh, first woman that I had a sexual relationship wow. with. So, you know, that kind of world was very, it just seemed very, it just tumbled into that. And yeah. the scene was extremely queer. It was straight. It was anarchic. It was mm-hmm. all things. Uh, it was, it was uh, dangerous and exciting and supportive and, and political 
Mm. And to me, that just seemed like that was way more interesting to me than school. I mean, no no question. And, And that's interesting, too, to go back to that language idea in the sense of like figuring out who you are, deduction versus induction, where like, even your art making, you were like, here's what I do. I don't know, find a, I don't even know what venues this goes to. You find a place for it. You figure out what this is. It wasn't like, I'm going to do this or like the Canada Council Grant needs me to do this. God, no, no. No, you were, you started from the back and worked your way in. Yeah. And it was always from a place of feeling like this is my community and feeling Mm, like there is a great deal of acceptance and a feeling of real kind of love of the uh, people really, they, they weren't playing in cover bands. You yeah. know, the, the worst thing you could do is play somebody else's song, but they wanted to, <laughs> we wanted to see personal expression. Totally. And this crossed off, it, it informed everything. In my um, community, there was, a, there was a record label called Moda Moo. Mm. Um, and, and again, completely queer um and that was mm-hmm. just it, it was just a given you never mm-hmm. questioned it and, and some of the best best bands were, were part of the modamu la- label um there you know it, it, there was this one band called industrial waistband it was just a lot of lesbian <laughs> separatists on a tonal keyboards like shouting yep. and Correct. it was like yes so <laughs> yes. great um and th- there was a lot of direct action at that time too there was a lot mm-hmm. of like um um there was a lot of anger towards uh, you know, the, uh, you know, corporate mentality, and um, there, and, and to a point of anarchic behavior of blowing up substations, and and people, you know, these, this was a sort of tangential wing of this larger community as well. Yeah, some yeah. of whom went to jail for their stuff. I mean, but it was all kind of this really intense and wonderful kind of world of exploration. I was so lucky to fall into that. Yeah. Yeah, such a beautiful place to be as an artist, especially when you're at an age or a place in your life when you're willing to take chances. And even if you think you know who you are, you're willing to be proven wrong, maybe. You're willing to try to be like someone else and in a really nice, authentic way. I've been a part of some pretty weirdo uh, arts communities over the course of my life. And it's funny because almost the taboo is to be too normy. So they're like, if you're not up for some weird sort of queer substation thievery adventure it's like what's wrong with you (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's the flip and then we 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 fast forward to short bus where i mean to be i feel we may have skipped one or two things but let's go right (laughs) to short bus i'm into it i mean then then everyone's you know really um i i mean as a person who has heterosexual relationships as well i was considered exotic Mm. you know it was like I was, whoa, that's so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was the very, the, the, the person, whoa, wow. Um, so. How do you do that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I think, I think it's, um, I think it's very fortunate that I stumbled into that world, um, in my, entirely as much as coming from incredibly difficult and a family full of upheaval being, you know, first generation Chinese Canadian and and all of that stuff that went with that. Mm -hmm. Um, then also, finding my way to a family that was um, so accepting and loving and also um, outsiders, you know, was, yeah. um, was, was great because we all were, we were all, all insiders as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You flipped it. Yeah. What, totally. I mean, what a, what a beautiful button to put on that. So let's quickly circle back through, cause I want to make sure, you know, from a litigation standpoint, everyone gets their due. Uh, the first thing we had was, I think, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yeah. We, we had Repulsion. We had... Goodbye, Charlie. We had Goodbye, goodbye Charlie. Yes, Goodbye, Charlie. That's all TV. Denise Miles. Denise Miles. Bathroom. Bathroom tiles as sort of a, a puberty measuring system. Yeah, uh, breast measuring system. And then mm-hmm. also bathroom door where I broke oh, yeah. the graffiti. Yeah. And then we have like an errant boop pop from a Lycra swimsuit. <laughs> we have we have Mark, my boy self. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I love I love Mark in the blueberry fields. Really into that <laughs> as a, a film you should produce in the future. <laughs> yes. And then we go to lesbians and artists. No one else in the row house in Strathcoma. Was the row house yeah. in Strathcoma? Okay. Yeah, on Hawks Avenue. Um, and also there is Brian. That's where I met Brian Youngin. Do you know Brian Youngin? He's um, no. he's a, one of Canada's greatest artists. He's 
indigenous, I forget which nation he's from in BC. Um, he's the guy that took um, Nike runners that were his mm -hmm. tribal colors and made these incredible masks out of uh, altered um, Nike uh, running shoes. Oh, he had so a, cool. a huge ex, uh, exhibit a few years ago. Anyway, you know, Brian and I were, were eating, we, we were impoverished people. You know, he was my mm -hmm. neighbor and we were eating hand to mouth. And now he's like one of Canada's most celebrated artists. So, awesome. so yeah, really, really, really cool. I'm going to, I'm going to see him in two days. So exciting. All right. Yeah. So everyone in the meantime, do your Brian, Brian Youngin. Yeah, Brian Youngin. That's the name. Yeah. Do, do your homework. Look back on that. J-U-N-G-E-N. J-U-N-G-E-N. Oh, it's like the J, yeah. like the, the German J. And then I think we hit it, and then it was maybe exploding heads as artistic yeah. expression was sort of the, the button on the story. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, maybe that movie, uh, Taxi to John. Taxi to John? Taxi, taxi to the John. Taxi to the John. Is it the John as in like John like like sex work john or like a bathroom the bathroom the bathroom we're going to the john yeah. and maybe there will be yeah. a john there too fantastic so thank you uh so can, and before i let you go and i don't want to would you like to play a game sure great great answer there's only one really this game is called <laughs> queer queerer queerist queerer queerist okay I'm going to give you three things. Your job is to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Thing number one, the one single frequency that a whole orchestra tunes to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, it's different depending on the country or the... Do we mean queer? Do, so I, do I say queer, queerist, queer? No, you keep that little secret to yourself until you've heard all three. Okay, okay. Because you're going to put them in order. Okay, got yeah. it, got if, it. So the one yeah. frequency that everybody tunes to in an orchestra. Yeah. Okay. You got it. All the instruments on the one frequency. Thing number two, plastic yellow floor signs. Sometimes they're for spills. Sometimes they're oh. for other things. <laughs> you mean the, with their warning signs? Yeah, those they're really like heavy-duty plastic. You've seen them in airports and fast food restaurants. They're not. Are they? Are they always in a sort of like rounded triangle or no? Rounded triangles, an interesting shape. I. They're like a. They're like a little. Um. Oh boy, well, like an easel. Okay. Uh, and so, what do they usually say? They might say, uh, "Careful, wet floor." They might say, oh, okay. "Caution, <laughs> escalator out of service." Oh, you mean, are they like stands on the floor? Yeah, they're little, like okay. little, yeah, they yeah, look yeah, like yeah. a capital A. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Known the world over as like, they're <laughs> very sort of like, um, uh, aggressive warning. Okay. Yeah, you got it. Thing number three, that liminal moment when you hit yourself really hard and you don't know how much it's going to hurt and you're just waiting to get a sense of the real pain. Oh, God. Yeah. So recap. Thing number Whoa. one, that one frequency the whole orchestra tunes to. Thing number two, those plastic yellow floor signs. Thing number three, the liminal moment between hit and pain. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Least queer to most queer. Bring it. Yeah. Mo uh, so queer, they're all queer. <laughs> yes. They're yes. all queer. I have, I, we both decided all those things are queer. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's see um <laughs> okay i would say the orchestra mm. note is queer okay that's the least queer yeah that's okay. the least queer mm -hmm. it's very queer because i like mm. the idea that everyone's tuning to this universal note that it, mm. it involves everybody but it's still within the western scale touche you know 12 yeah. bars uh, 12 yeah. notes it's still in the classical paradigm which is a little narrow that's true. No pentatonic, no microtonal stuff. Well, they could because it's just the beauty about one note is it's, it hasn't established the scale or the chord yet. Yeah, but I think that the, like, I guess when you said it, I just had a, a, an image because I think orchestras do tune to that one note. Yeah, you know, and trust your gut. This is about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was just like seeing an orchestra, a classical orchestra, all like tuning up to that, you know, you see... You go to there and there are all the tubas and everyone's like, and they're tuning yeah, to that. Exactly. And so they're tuning to that one. But yeah, because it's in the Western scale, it's 12 bars, it's West, it's classical idiom. Yeah. It's not necessarily incorporating, you know, um, toy shenies, <laughs> microtonal. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know? Yeah, it's not that. Um, it's not that. So, I but, wish it was. But but I like that idea that everybody in that pit, in the orchestra pit is tuning to that. Um, the second one is this four signs. Be careful. Oh. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> you know, like this, just, just so you know, you know, we're always kind of like, navigating the world just seeing where this where, what what could possibly happen right you know it's avoiding... a bit it's a bit step outside like a bit um um sense making like we said yeah like just okay. you know be mindful just don't go over that way. You'll, <laughs> you'll fall over the cliff totally <laughs> although it is aggressive it is as you say they're kind of these hard aggressive signs but like you know i'm all i i'm I'm all about vigilant. I'm extremely vigilant. I'm hyper well, there you uh, to, go. A, to, a, to a fault. Yeah. And also like firm direction is not necessarily combative. It can be supportive. It's just like, hey, don't fuck around. <laughs> <laughs> we have to navigate. And it's like, where's, you know, uh, reading the signs, seeing where potential trouble could be. I love that. Yeah. So that makes queerest. <laughs> queerest is that liminal moment. <gasps> I mean, I think that's very, I think it's very exciting. You know, you you felt felt something and you're not quite sure how to process what it is. And then in in this case, you're saying it's pain. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's a a micro moment where you're not quite sure. I see this in children too, like when they're startled by something and then suddenly they cry. Yeah. You know, but sometimes it could go either way. Usually they cry because they see the world around them like, oh, my God. Yes. They look to you for context. Like, is yeah, something like, wrong? Oh, my God. Holy shit. Uh, and then they ball their head off. But yeah. there is potentiality. I like the potentiality in that moment because you haven't already deemed this as whatever it is. In this case, we say pain. Hmm. And, um, you know, what can that pain be? Does the pain necessarily have to be negative or make you cry? Right. It's sort of a wonderful moment of uncertainty. I love that. There's so much potential. It can be anything. It's just waiting for you to name it if you yeah. feel obliged to. Yeah. And it's you're, you're, you're feeling something. You're sensing and, and it's a provocative moment. We don't have enough of those moments in a day. I mean, listen, I played this game a lot of times. And uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you on how seriously you took this exercise. You really thought before we started... <laughs> And I do think that if some university administrators listening, you might be awarded an honorary degree for the answer you just gave. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, the caliber was high, Sukin. Amazing. I mean, I, I love I love that game. Thanks. Hey, it's mine, so don't steal it. <laughs> so fantastic. So this game also, of course, as I already alluded to, academia, it's very serious. So let me check my rubric to see your how you score. One, two, three. <laughs> Congratulations, Sukin. You are, in fact, a queer person. 100%. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, ow, ow. Oh, yeah, wait, wait for it. Is it good or bad? I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know yet. If you want to know, tune into the next episode of You Made Me Queer. But for now, uh, I am going to say goodbye. Thank you so much for this, Sukin. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. You're awesome. Hey, no, you're Wonderful. awesome. Same to you. It was my pleasure. And before I let you go, anything you want to plug? Oh, yeah. Um, this Friday, mm. um, there's a high definition or high def screening of the 4K restoration of Short Bus um, <sighs> that's playing at the Tiff Bell Lightbox. On Friday, I'm going to do a Q&A um, with Andrew uh, from uh, Inside Out Festival. Yes. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what it looks like on the screen. It's just been re-released by um oscilloscope laboratories really awesome company in the states and there i I love the bell light box it's a one of the best state-of-the-art screening facilities and it's a wonderful movie so come on out and i think the screening is at 7 30 around there check the listing uh this friday on june 18th yes please buy tickets if you can i'm sure this is going to sell out and even if you've already seen especially if you've already seen short bus you haven't seen in 4k probably and you haven't seen it in a while and what a film to because i've seen it several times to experience in a theater with people it's a shared experience so exciting and sakin's gonna be there yeah i'm gonna be there so get on down. Answering every question. Abs- uh, the, yeah, think of your questions now. Uh, you can ask her your own queer, queerer, queerist. And I want to thank you, Sukin, because I was very queer when this conversation started. And talking to you and learning about Mark and the Blueberry Fields has made me <laughs> queerer than ever. Queerist! <laughs>
Yes, queerest is me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Trevor. We'll see you later. Okay, sounds good. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, that is our show. And I think, you know, knock on wood, I can say that this is now the end of season two. Will I have maybe a one-off episode throughout the summer? Fine, maybe. I don't know. Don't hold me to anything. But for all intents and purposes, wave season two goodbye. Thank you so much. You can email me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. Even though I'm not producing new episodes necessarily over the summer, I'm always looking for your mail. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And that's it. Walk on, tiny dancer. Cue credits. You Made Me Queer is created and produced by me, Trevor Campbell. Our editor is Sean Van Beaton. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday. When we come back, it's a transition. And from the bottom of my big, bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember... We're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.